This performance is a co-production of loudlit.org and Literal Systems. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain Performed by Mark Devine Chapter 8 The sun was up so high when I waked that I judged it was after 8 o'clock. I laid there in the grass in the cool shade thinking about things and feeling rested and rather comfortable and satisfied. I could see the sun out at one or two holes, but mostly it was big trees all about and gloomy in there amongst them. There was freckled places on the ground where the light sifted down through the leaves, and the freckled places swapped about a little, showing there was a little breeze up there. A couple of squirrels sat on a limb and jabbered at me very friendly. I was powerful lazy and comfortable, didn't want to get up and cook breakfast. Well, I was dozing off again when I think I hears a deep sound of boom away up the river. I rouses up and rests on my elbow and listens. Pretty soon I hears it again. I hopped up and went and looked out at a hole in the leaves, and I see a bunch of smoke laying on the water a long ways up, about a breast of ferry. And there was the ferry boat full of people floating along down. I knowed what was the matter now. Boom! I see the white smoke squirt out of the ferry boat's side. You see, they was firing cannon over the water, trying to make my carcass come to the top. I was pretty hungry, but it weren't going to do for me to start a fire because they might see the smoke. So I sat there and watched the cannon smoke and listened to the boom. The river was a mile wide there, and it always looked pretty on a summer morning. So I was having a good enough time seeing them hunt for my remainders if I only had a bite to eat. Well, then I happened to think how they was always putting quicksilver and loaves of bread and float them off because they always go right to the drowned carcass and stop there. So says I, I'll keep a lookout, and if any of them's floating around after me, I'll give them a show. I changed to the Illinois edge of the island to see what luck I could have, and I weren't disappointed. A big double loaf come along, and I most got it with a long stick, but my foot slipped and she floated out further. Of course, I was where the current set in the closest to the shore. I knowed enough for that. But by and by along comes another one, and this time I won. I took out the plug and shook out the little dab of quicksilver and set my teeth in. It was baker's bread with the quality eat, none of your low-down corn pone. I got a good place amongst the leaves and sat there on a log munching the bread and watching the ferry boat and very well satisfied, and then something struck me. I says, Now I reckon the widow or the parson or somebody prayed that this bread would find me, and here it has gone and done it. So there ain't no doubt but there is something in that thing, that is, there's something in it when a body like the widow or the parson prays, but it don't work for me, and I reckon it don't work for only just the right kind. I lit a pipe and had a good long smoke and went on watching. The ferry boat was floating with the current, and I allowed I'd have a chance to see who was aboard when she come along, because she would come in close, where the bread did. When she'd got pretty well along down towards me, I put out my pipe and went to where I fished out the bread, and laid down behind a log on the bank in a little open place, where the log forked I could peep through. By and by she come along, and she drifted in so close that they could have run out a plank and walked ashore. Most everybody was on the boat. Pap and Judge Thatcher and Becky Thatcher and Joe Harper and Tom Sawyer and his old Aunt Polly and Sid and Mary and plenty more. Everybody was talking about the murder, but the captain broke in and says, Look sharp now. 
The current sets in the closest here, and maybe he's washed ashore and got tangled amongst the brush at the water's edge. I hope so, anyway. I didn't hope so. They all crowded up and leaned over the rails, nearly in my face, and kept still, watching with all their might. I could see them first rate, but they couldn't see me. Then the captain sung out, Stand away! And the cannon let off such a blast right before me that it made me deaf with the noise and pretty much near blind with the smoke, and I judged I was gone. If they'd a had some bullets in, I reckon they'd a got the corpse they was after. Well, I see I weren't hurt, thanks to goodness. The boat floated on and went out of sight around the shoulder of the island. I could hear the booming now and then further and further off, and by and by, after an hour, I didn't hear it no more. The island was three mile long, and I judged they had got to the foot and was giving it up, but they didn't yet a while. They turned around the foot of the island and started up the channel on the Missouri side, under steam, and booming once in a while as they went. I crossed over to that side and watched them. When they got abreast the head of the island, they quit shooting and dropped over to the Missouri shore and went home to the town. I knowed I was all right now. Nobody else would come a-hunting after me. I got my traps out of the canoe and made me a nice camp in the thick woods. I made a kind of a tent out of my blankets to put my things under so the rain couldn't get at them. I catched the catfish and haggled them open with my saw and towards sundown, I started my campfire and had supper. Then I set out a line to catch some fish for breakfast. When it was dark, I sat by my campfire smoking and feeling pretty well satisfied. But by and by, it got sort of lonesome, and so I went and sat on the bank and listened to the current swashing along and counted the stars and drift logs and rafts that come down and then went to bed. There ain't no better way to put in time when you are lonesome. You can't stay, so you soon get over it. And so for three days and nights, no difference, just the same thing. But the next day, I went exploring around down through the island. I was boss of it. It all belonged to me, so to say. And I wanted to know all about it, but mainly, I wanted to put in the time. I found plenty strawberries, ripe and prime, and green summer grapes, and green raspberries, and the green blackberries was just beginning to show. They would all come handy by and by, I judged. Well, I went to foolin' along in the deep woods till I judged I weren't far from the foot of the island. I had my gun along, but I hadn't shot nothing. It was for protection. Thought I would kill some game nigh home. About this time, I might nearly stepped on a good-sized snake, and it went sliding off through the grass and flowers, and I after it, trying to get a shot at it. I clipped along, and all of a sudden I bound right onto the ashes of a campfire that was still smoking. My heart jumped up amongst my lungs. I never waited for it to look further, but uncocked my gun and went sneaking back on my tiptoes as fast as ever I could. Every now and then I stopped a second amongst the thick leaves and listened, but my breath came so hard I couldn't hear nothing else. I slunk along another piece further, then listened again, and so on and so on. If I see a stump, I took it for a man. If I trod on a stick and broke it, it made me feel like a person had cut one of my breaths in two, and I only got half, and the short half too. When I got to camp, I weren't feeling very brash. There weren't much sand in my craw. But I says, this ain't no time to be fooling around. So I got all my traps into my canoe again so as to have them out of sight, and I put out the fire and scattered the ashes around to look like an old last year's camp, and then clumb a tree. I reckon I was up in the tree two hours, but I didn't see nothing. I didn't hear nothing. I only thought I heard and seen as much as a thousand things. Well, I couldn't stay up there forever, so at last I got down, but I kept in the thick woods and on the lookout all the time. All I could get to eat was berries, 
and what was left over from breakfast. By the time it was night, I was pretty hungry, so when it was good and dark, I slid out from shore before moonrise and paddled over to the Illinois bank about a quarter of a mile. I went out in the woods and cooked a supper, and I had about made up my mind I would stay there all night when I hear a plunkety-plunk, plunkety-plunk, says to myself, horse is coming, and next I hear people's voices. I got everything into the canoe as quick as I could, and then went creeping through the woods to see what I could find out. I hadn't got far when I hear a man say, We better camp here if we can find a good place. The horses is about beat out. Let's look around. I didn't wait, but shoved out and paddled away easy. I tied up in the old place and reckoned I would sleep in the canoe. I didn't sleep much. I couldn't somehow for thinking. Every time I waked up, I thought somebody had me by the neck. So the sleep didn't do me no good. By and by, I says to myself, I can't live this way. I'm a-going to find out who it is that's here on the island with me. I'll find it out or bust. Well, I felt better right off. So I took my paddle and slid out from shore just a step or two, and then let the canoe drop along down amongst the shadows. The moon was shining, and outside of the shadows it made it most as light as day. I poked along well on to an hour, everything still as rocks and sound asleep. Well, by this time I was most down to the foot of the island, a little ripply cool breeze begun to blow, and that was as good as saying the night was about done. I give her a turn with the paddle and brung her nose to shore. Then I got my gun and slipped out into the edge of the woods. I sat down there on a log and looked out through the leaves. I see the moon go off watch and the darkness begin to blanket the river. But in a little while, I see a pale streak over the treetops and know the day was coming. So I took my gun and slipped off towards where I'd run across that campfire, stopping every minute or two to listen. But I had no luck somehow. I couldn't seem to find the place. But by and by, sure enough... I catched a glimpse of fire away through the trees. I went for it, cautious and slow. By and by, I was close enough to have a look, and there laid a man on the ground. It most give me the fantods. He had a blanket around his head, and his head was nearly in the fire. I sat there behind a clump of bushes and about six foot of him, and kept my eyes on him steady. It was getting gray daylight now. Pretty soon he gapped and stretched himself and hove off the blanket, and it was Miss Watson's Jim. I bet I was glad to see him. I says... Hello, Jim, and skipped out. He bounced up and stared at me wild. Then he drops down on his knees and puts his hands together and says, Don't hurt me, don't. I ain't ever done no harm to a ghost. I always liked dead people and done all I could for him. You go and get in the river again where you belongs and don't do nothing to old Jim. That was always your friend. Well, I weren't long making him understand I weren't dead. I was ever so glad to see Jim. I weren't lonesome now. I told him I weren't afraid of him telling the people where I was. I talked along, but he only sat there and looking at me, never said nothing. Then I says, It's good daylight. Let's get breakfast. Make up your campfire good. What's the use of making up the campfire to cook strawberries in Sitch's truck? But you got a gun, ain't you? Then we can get something better than strawberries. Strawberries in such truck, I says. Is that what you live on? I couldn't get nothing else, he says. Why, how long you been on the island, Jim? I come here the night after you's killed. Why, all that time? Yes, indeedy. And ain't you had nothing but that kind of rubbish to eat? No, sir, nothing else. Well, you must be most starved, ain't you? I reckon I could eat a horse. I think I could. How long you been on the island? Since the night I got killed? No. Why, what did you lived on? Oh, but you got a gun. Oh, yes, you got a gun. That's good. Now you kill something and I'll make up the fire. So we went over to where my canoe was, 
and while he built a fire in a grassy open place amongst the trees, I fetched meal and bacon and coffee, and coffee pot and frying pan, and sugar and tin cups, and the nigger was set back considerable, because he reckoned it was all done with witchcraft. I catched a good big catfish, too, and Jim cleaned him with his knife and fried him. When breakfast was ready, we lolled on the grass and eat it smoking hot. Jim laid it in with all his might, for he was most about starved. Then, when we had got pretty stuffed, we laid off and lazied. By and by, Jim says, But looky here, Huck. Who was it that was killed in that shanty if it weren't you? Then I told him the whole thing, and he said it was smart. He said Tom Sawyer couldn't get up no better plan than what I had. Then I says, How do you come to be here, Jim? And how'd you get here? Well, he looked pretty uneasy and didn't say nothing for a minute. Then he says, Maybe I better not tell. Why, Jim? Well, there's reasons. But you wouldn't tell on me if I was to tell you, would you, Huck? Blame if I would, Jim. Well, I believe you, Huck. I... I run off. Jim! But mind, you said you wouldn't tell. You know you said you wouldn't tell, Huck. Well, I did. I said I wouldn't, and I'll stick to it. Honest engine, I will. People would call me a low-down abolitionist and despise me for keeping mum, but that don't make no difference. I ain't a-gonna tell, and I ain't a-going back there anyways. So now, let's know all about it. Well, you see, it is this way. Old Mrs., that's Miss Watson, she pecks on me all the time and treats me pretty rough, but she always said she wouldn't sell me down to Orleans. But I noticed there was a nigger trade around the place considerable lately, and I begin to get uneasy. Well, one night I creeps through the door pretty late, and the door won't quite shut, and I hear old missus tell the widow she's going to sell me down to Orleans, but she didn't want to, but she could get eight hundred dollars for me, and it is such a big stack of money she couldn't resist. The widow, she tried to get her to say she wouldn't do it, but I never waited to hear the rest. I lit out mighty quick, I tell you. I took out and shinned down the hill, inspect to steal a skiff along the shore summers above the town, but there was people a-stirring yet, so I hid in the old tumble-down cooper shop on the bank to wait for everybody to go away. While I was there all night, there was somebody round all the time. Long about six in the morning, skiffs began to go by. and about eight or nine, every skiff that went along was talking about how your pap come over to the town and says you's killed. These last skiffs was full of ladies and gentlemen a-going over for to see the place. Sometimes they'd pull up at the show and take a rest before they started across, so by the talk I got to know all about the killing. I was powerful sorry you's killed, Huck, but I ain't no more now. I lay there under the shavings all day. I was hungry, but I weren't afeard, because I know old missus and the widder was going to start to the camp meeting right after breakfast and be gone all day, and they knows I goes off with the cattle about daylight, so they wouldn't speck me round about the place, and so they wouldn't miss me till after dark in the evening. The other servants wouldn't miss me, cause they shin out and take a holiday soon as the folks was out of the way. Well, when it come dark, I took out up the river road, and went about two mile or more to where there weren't no houses. I'd made up my mind about what I was going to do. You see, if I kept on trying to get away afoot, the dogs would track me. If I stole a skiff to cross over, they'd miss that skiff, you see, and they'd know about where I'd land on the other side and where to pick up my track. So I says, a raft is what I's arter. It don't make no track. I see a lighter coming round a pint by me by. So I wade in and shove a log ahead of me and swum more than halfway across the river and got in amongst the driftwood and kept my head down low and kind of swum against the current till the raft come along. Then I swum to the stern of it and took a holt. It clouded up and was pretty dark for a little while, 
so I clumb up and laid down on the planks. The men was all way yonder in the middle where the lantern was. The river was a-rising, and there was a good current, so I reckoned that by four in the morning I'd be twenty-five mile down the river, and then I'd slip in just before daylight and swim ashore and take to the woods on the Illinois side. But I didn't have no luck. When we was most down to the head of the island, a man began to come aft with the lantern. I see it weren't no use for the wait, so I slid overboard and struck out for the island. Well, I had a notion I would land most anywheres, but I couldn't. Bank too bluff. I was most to the foot of the island before I found a good place. I went into the woods and judged I wouldn't fool with rafts no more long as they moved the land around, so I had my pipe and a plug of dog leg and some matches in my cap, and they weren't wet, so I was all right. And so you ain't had no meat nor bread to eat all this time? Why didn't you get mud turkles? How you gwine to get em? You can't slip up on em and grab em, and how's a body gwine to hit em with a rock? How could a body do it in the night? And I weren't gwine to show myself on the bank in the daytime. Well, that's so. You've had to keep in the woods all the time, of course. Did you hear him shooting the cannon? Oh, yes. I know they was out to you. I see him go by here. Watched him through the bushes. Some young birds come along, flying a yard or two at a time and lighting. Jim said it was a sign it was going to rain. He said it was a sign when young chickens flew that way, and so he reckoned it was the same way when young birds done it. I was going to catch some of them, but Jim wouldn't let me. He said it was death. He said his father laid mighty sick once, and some of them catched a bird. And his old granny said his father would die, and he did. And Jim said you mustn't count the things you were going to cook for dinner, because that would bring bad luck. The same if you shook the tablecloth after sundown. And he said if a man owned a beehive, and that man died, the bees must be told about it before sun up next morning, or else the bees would all weaken down and quit work and die. Jim said bees wouldn't sting idiots. But I didn't believe that, because I had tried them lots of times myself, and they would sting me. I had heard about some of these things before, but not all of them. Jim knowed all kinds of signs. He said he knowed most everything. I said it looked to me like all the signs was about bad luck, and so I asked him if there weren't any good luck signs. He says, Mighty few, and they ain't no use to a body. What you want to know when good luck's a coming for? Want to keep it off? And he said, If you's got hairy arms and a hairy breast, it's a sign you's a gwine to be rich. Well, there's some use in a sign like that, case it's so far ahead. You see, maybe you's got to be poor a long time first, and so you might get discouraged and kill yourself if you didn't know by the sign that you's gwine to be rich by me by. Have you got hairy arms and a hairy breast, Jim? What's the use to ask that question? Don't you see I has? Well, are you rich? No, but I been rich once, and gwine to be rich again. Once I had fourteen dollars, but I took to speculating and got busted out. What did you speculate in, Jim? Well, first I tackled stock. What kind of stock? Why, livestock. Cattle, you know. I put ten dollars in a cow. But I ain't gwine to rest no more money in stock. The cow up and died on my hands. So you lost the ten dollars? No, I didn't lose it all. I only lost about nine of it. I sold a hide in Tyler for a dollar and ten cents. You had five dollars and ten cents left. Did you speculate any more? Yes. You know that one-legged nigger that belongs to old Mr. Bradish? Well, he sought up a bank and said anybody that put in a dollar would get four dollars more at the end of the year. Well, all the niggers went in, but they didn't have much. I was the only one that had much. So I stuck out for more than four dollars, and I said if I didn't get it, I'd start a bank myself. Well, of course, that nigger wanted to keep me out of the business because he said there weren't business enough for two banks, so he said I could put in my five dollars 
and he paid me 35 at the end of the year. So I done it. Then I reckon I'd invest the $35 right off and keep things a moving. There was a nigger named Bob that had catched a wood flat, and his master didn't know it. And I bought it off him and told him to take the $35 when the end of the year come. But somebody stole the wood flat that night. And the next day, the one-legged nigger said the bank's busted. So they didn't none of us get no money. What did you do with the ten cents, Jim? Well, I was going to spend it. But I had a dream. And the dream told me to give it to a nigger named Balaam. Balaam's ass, they call him for short. He's one of them chuckleheads, you know. But he's lucky, they say. And I see I weren't lucky. The dream say let Balaam invest the ten cents and he'd make a raise for me. Well, Balaam, he took the money. And when he was in church, he heard the preacher say that whoever give to the poor lend to the Lord and bound to get his money back a hundred times. So Balaam, he took and give the ten cents to the poor and laid low to see what's going to come of it. Well, what did come of it, Jim? Nothing never come of it. I couldn't manage to collect that money no way, and Balaam, he couldn't. I ain't going to lend no more money doubt I see the security. Bound to get your money back a hundred times, the preacher says. If I could get the ten cents back... I'd call it square and be glad of the chance. Well, it's all right anyway, Jim, long as you're going to be rich again sometime or other. Yes, and I's rich now, come to look at it. I owns myself, and I's worth eight hundred dollars. I wished I had the money. I wouldn't want no more. Chapter 9 I wanted to go and look at a place right about the middle of the island that I'd found when I was exploring, so we started and soon got to it, because the island was only three mile long and a quarter of a mile wide. This place was a tolerable long steep hill, a ridge about 40 foot high. We had a rough time getting to the top. The sides were so steep and the bushes so thick. We tramped and clumb around all over it, and by and by found a good big cavern in the rock, most up to the top on the side towards Illinois. The cavern was as big as two or three rooms bunched together, and Jim could stand up straight in it. It was cool in there. Jim was for putting our traps in there right away, but I said we didn't want to be climbing up and down there all the time. Well, Jim said if we had the canoe hid in a good place and had all the traps in the cavern, we could rush there if anybody was to come to the island, and they would never find us without dogs. And besides, he said, them little birds had said it was going to rain, and did I want the things to get wet? So we went back and got the canoe, and paddled up abreast the cavern, and lugged all the traps up there. Then we hunted up a place close by to hide the canoe in, amongst the thick willows. We took some fish off of the lines and set them again, and begun to get ready for dinner. The door of the cabin was big enough to roll a hog's head in, and on one side of the door the floor stuck out a little bit, and was flat and a good place to build a fire on. So we built it there and cooked dinner. We spread the blankets inside for a carpet and eat our dinner in there. We put all the other things handy at the back of the cavern. Pretty soon it darkened up begun to thunder and lighten, so the birds was right about it. Directly it begun to rain, and it rained like all fury too, and I never see the wind blow so. It was one of these regular summer storms. It would get so dark that it looked all blue-black outside and lovely, and the rain would thrash along by so thick that the trees off a little ways looked dim and spider-webby, and here would come a blast of wind that would bend the trees down and turn up the pale underside of the leaves, and then a perfect ripper of a gust would follow along and set the branches to toss in their arms as if they was just wild. And next, when it was just the bluest and blackest, pst, it was as bright as glory, and you'd have a little glimpse of treetops a-plunging about a ways off yonder in the storm, hundreds of yards further than you could see before. And dark as sin again in a second. 
and now you'd hear the thunder let go with an awful crash, and then go rumbling, grumbling, tumbling down the sky towards the underside of the world, like rolling empty barrels downstairs, where it's long stairs and they bounce a good deal, you know? Jim, this is nice, I says. I wouldn't want to be nowhere else but here. Pass me along another hunk of fish and some hot cornbread. Well, you wouldn't have been here if it hadn't have been for Jim. You'd have been down there in the woods without any dinner, and getting most drowned too. Dat you would, honey. Chicken's knows when it's going to rain, and so do the birds, child. The river went on raising and raising for ten or twelve days, till at last it was over the banks. The water was three or four foot deep on the island, in the low places, and on the Illinois bottom. On that side, it was a good many miles wide, but on the Missouri side it was the same old distance across, a half a mile, because the Missouri shore was just a wall of high bluffs. Daytimes we paddled all over the island in the canoe. It was mighty cool and shady in the deep woods, even if the sun was blazing outside. We went winding in and out amongst the trees, and sometimes the vines hung so thick we had to back away and go some other way. Well, on every broken-down tree you could see rabbits and snakes and such things, and when the island had been overflowed a day or two, they got so tame on account of being hungry that you could paddle right up and put your hand on them if you wanted to. But not the snakes and turtles. They would slide off in the water. The ridge our cavern was in was full of them. We could have had pets enough if we'd wanted them. One night we catched a little section of a lumber raft. Nice pine planks. It was twelve foot wide and about fifteen or sixteen foot long, and the top stood above the water six or seven inches. A solid level floor. We could see saw logs go by in the daylight sometimes, but we let them go. We didn't show ourselves in daylight. Another night we was up at the head of the island, just before daylight. Here comes a frame house down, on the west side. She was a two-story, and tilted over considerable. We paddled out and got aboard, clumb in at an upstairs window. But it was too dark to see yet, so we made the canoe fast and set her in to wait for daylight. The light begun to come before we got to the foot of the island, then we looked in at the window. We could make out a bed and a table and two old chairs and lots of things around about the floor, and there was clothes hanging against the wall. There was something laying on the floor in the far corner that looked like a man. So Jim says, Hello, you. But it didn't budge, so I hollered again, and then Jim says, The man ain't asleep. He's dead. You hold still. I'll go and see. He went and bent down and looked and says, it's a dead man, yes indeedy, naked too. He's been shot in the back. I reckon he's been dead two or three days. Well, come in, Huck, but don't look at his face. It's too gashly. I didn't look at him at all. Jim throwed some old rags over him, but he needn't done it. I didn't want to see him. There was heaps of old greasy cards scattered around over the floor, and old whiskey bottles, and a couple of masks made out of black cloth, and all over the walls was the ignorantest kind of words and pictures made with charcoal. There was two old dirty calico dresses and a sunbonnet and some women's underclothes hanging against the wall and some men's clothing, too. We put the lot in the canoe. It might come good. There was a boy's old speckled straw hat on the floor. I took that, too. And there was a bottle that had milk in it, and it had a rag stopper for a baby to suck. We would have took the bottle, but it was broke. There was a seedy old chest and an old hair trunk with the hinges broke. They stood open, but there weren't nothing left in them that was any account. The way things was scattered about, we reckon the people left in a hurry and weren't fixed so as to carry off most of their stuff. We got an old tin lantern and a butcher knife without any handle and a brand new Barlow knife worth two bits in any store and a lot of tallow candles and a tin candlestick and a gourd and a tin cup 
and a ratty old bed quilt off the bed, and a reticule with needles and pins and beeswax and buttons and thread and all such truck in it, and a hatchet and some nails, and a fish line as thick as my little finger with some monstrous hooks on it, and a roll of buckskin, and a leather dog collar, and a horseshoe, and some vials of medicine that didn't have no label on them, and just as we was leaving I found a tolerable good curry comb, and Jim he found a ratty old fiddle bow and a wooden leg. The straps was broke off it, but barring that, it was a good enough leg, though it was too long for me and not long enough for Jim, and we couldn't find the other one, though we hunted all around. And so, take it all around, we made a good haul. When we was ready to shove off, we was a quarter of a mile below the island, and it was pretty broad day, so I made Jim lay down in the canoe and cover up with the quilt, because if he set up, people could tell he was a nigger a good ways off. I paddled over to the Illinois shore and drifted down most half a mile doing it. I crept up in the dead water under the bank and had no accidents and didn't see nobody. We got home all safe. Chapter 10 After breakfast, I wanted to talk about the dead man and guess out how he come to be killed, but Jim didn't want to. He said it would fetch bad luck, and besides, he said, he might come to Hannah's. He said a man that weren't buried was more likely to go a-hantin' around than one that was planted and comfortable. That sounded pretty reasonable, so I didn't say no more, but I couldn't keep from studying over it and wishing I knowed who shot the man and what they done it for. We rummaged the clothes we'd got and found eight dollars in silver sewed up in the lining of an old blanket overcoat. Jim said he reckoned the people in that house stole the coat because if they'd a knowed the money was there, they wouldn't have left it. I said I reckon they killed him too, but Jim didn't want to talk about that. I says, Now you think it's bad luck, but what did you say when I fetched in the snake skin that I found on the top of the ridge day before yesterday? You said it was the worst bad luck in the world to touch a snake skin with my hands. Well, here's your bad luck. We've raked in all this truck and eight dollars besides. I wish we could have some bad luck like this every day, Jim. Never you mind, honey, never you mind. Don't you get too pert. It's a-coming. Mind, I tell you, it's a-coming. It did come, too. It was Tuesday that we had that talk. Well, after dinner Friday, we was laying around in the grass at the upper end of the ridge and got out of tobacco. I went to the cavern to get some and found a rattlesnake in there. I killed him and curled him up on the foot of Jim's blanket, ever so natural, thinking there'd be some fun when Jim found him there. Well, by night I forgot all about the snake, and when Jim flung himself down on the blanket while I struck a light, the snake's mate was there and bit him. He jumped up yelling, and the first thing the light showed was the varmint curled up and ready for another spring. I laid him out in a second with a stick, and Jim grabbed Pap's whiskey jug and begun to pour it down. He was barefooted, and the snake bit him right on the heel. That all comes of my being such a fool as to not remember that wherever you leave a dead snake, its mate always comes there and curls around it. Jim told me to chop off the snake's head and throw it away, and then skin the body and roast a piece of it. I done it, and he eat it, and said it would help cure him. He made me take off the rattles and tie them around his wrist, too. He said that would help. Then I slid out quiet and throwed the snakes clear away amongst the bushes, or I weren't going to let Jim find out it was all my fault, not if I could help it. Jim sucked and sucked at the jug, and now and then he got out of his head and pitched around and yelled, but every time he come to himself, he went to sucking at the jug again. His foot swelled up pretty big, and so did his leg, but by and by the drunk begun to come, and so I judged he was all right but I'd rather been bit with a snake than Pap's whiskey. Jim was laid up for four days and nights. Then the swelling was all gone and he was around again. I made up my mind I would never take a holt of a snake skin again with my hands, now that I see what had come of it. 
Jim said he reckoned I would believe him next time, and he said that handling a snakeskin was such awful bad luck that maybe we hadn't got to the end of it yet. He said he'd rather see the new moon over his left shoulder as much as a thousand times than take up a snakeskin in his hand. Well, I was getting to feel that way myself, though I've always reckoned that looking at the new moon over your left shoulder is one of the carelessest and foolishest things a body can do. Old Hank Bunker done it once and bragged about it, and in less than two years, he got drunk and fell off of the shot tower and spread himself out so that he was just kind of a layer, as you may say, and they slid him edgeways between two barn doors for a coffin and buried him so, so they say, but I didn't see it, Pap told me. But anyway, it all come from looking at the moon that way, like a fool. Well, the days went along, and the river went down between its banks again, and about the first thing we done was to bait one of the big hooks with a skinned rabbit, and set it and catch a catfish that was as big as a man, being six foot two inches long, and weighed over two hundred pounds. We couldn't handle him, of course. He would have flung us into Illinois. We just sat there and watched him rip and tear around till he drowned it. We found a brass button in his stomach and a round ball, and lots of rubbish. We split the ball open with the hatchet, and there was a spool in it. Jim said he'd had it in there a long time to coat it over so and make a ball of it. It was as big a fish as it was ever catched in the Mississippi, I reckon. Jim said he had never seen a bigger one. He would have been worth a good deal over at the village. They peddle out such a fish as that by the pound in the market house there. Everybody buys some of them. His meat's as white as snow and makes a good fry. Next morning, I said it was getting slow and dull, and I wanted to get a stirring up some way. I said I reckon I would slip over to the river and find out what was going on. Well, Jim liked that notion, but he said I must go in the dark and look sharp. Then he studied it over and said, Couldn't I put on some of the old things and dress up like a girl? That was a good notion, too. So we shortened up one of the calico gowns, and I turned up my trouser legs to my knees and got into it. Jim hitched it behind with the hooks, and it was a fair fit. I put on the sunbonnet and tied it under my chin, and then for a body to look in and see my face was like looking down a joint of a stovepipe. Jim said nobody would know me, even in the daytime hardly. I practiced around all day to get the hang of things, and by and by I could do pretty well on them. Only Jim said I didn't walk like a girl, and he said I must quit pulling up my gown to get at my breeches pockets. Well, I took notice and done better. I started up the Illinois shore in the canoe just after dark. I started across to the town from a little below the ferry landing, and the drift of the current fetched me in at the bottom of the town. I tied up and started along the bank. There was a light burning in a little shanty that hadn't been lived in for a long time, and I wondered who had took up quarters there. I slipped up and peeped in at the window. There was a woman about forty-year-old in there knitting by a candle that was on a pine table. I didn't know her face. She was a stranger, for you couldn't start a face in that town that I didn't know. Now this was lucky, because I was weakening. I was getting afraid I had come. People might know my voice and find me out. But if this woman had been in such a little town two days, she could tell me all I wanted to know. So I knocked at the door and made up my mind I wouldn't forget I was a girl. This presentation is dedicated by Gordon W. Draper to all of those who will enjoy this Mark Twain masterpiece.